0: Getting you inside the cards. Inside corner, and he struck him out. That strikeout number 1,000 at Busch Stadium for Adam Wainwright. It's Redbirds pitcher Adam Wainwright on 101 ESPN. Third time through the lineup, he strikes out seven, and he strikes out the side in the seventh inning. Presented by Chick-fil-A. Earn points on your next mobile order with the Chick-fil-A app. Welcome back to the opening drive on 101 ESPN. And it's time for a special Thursday edition of Wednesdays with Wayneo Here on 101 ESPN, Adam Wainwright joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How
1: are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Sorry it's a day late, but we do what we got to do.
0: We do what we got to do. And I I referred to it as a special Thursday edition. I, I don't know if you remember as a kid when they would do... A Thursday night football game on ABC, they call it a special Thursday night edition of Monday Night Football. So that's why we're doing the Thursday edition of Wednesdays with Wayno.
1: It's just as big, basically.
0: Yeah, it might, because it happens so rarely, it might even be bigger. Uh, Hey, I got to start with this, Adam, because you and I are in the same Fantasy Football League, the Big League Impact Fantasy Football League, and by the way, people want to get involved with Big League Impact. Check out all the cool stuff at bigleagueimpact.org, and we'll talk more about that as we go along. As you know, we have a team that is called Tua Infinity and Beyond. And last weekend, rather than playing Tua, I played Matt Ryan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Man, that, that is, uh, I'll tell you, that is how just about everyone's fantasy season is going so far. I mean, I haven't talked to many people that are like, oh, yeah, I'm killing it. You know, everything's going great right now. It's uh, It's been kind of a slow start. And I'll tell you, I have an re- opinion behind that. And I don't know if it's right. Kerry can definitely definitely check me on this if I'm wrong. Man, I can swear these guys need the preseason. I know they don't want to get hurt in the preseason. I know that, you know, that's a big deal. Um, but they come out of there when they don't have all the game speed reps and they just don't look right for a couple of weeks. Am I the only one that thinks that?
0: I agree with you 100%. and. I believe, and I think this kind of started with Belichick. Actually, it seems like teams are using the first two or three games as their preseason, right?
1: That's what it seems like. It does seem like that, and, and breaking guys in slow, kind of you know, giving time shares and not not filling them up with too many too many rushes or routes right away, and then they kind of break in, and you know, that halfway point of the season, it really is is on from there.
0: And it's amazing, Adam, how once you do get to the midpoint of the season, the cream rises to the top. You have Aaron Rodgers on a couple of teams, and he's going to be there at the end, and we know it. And we know that guys like Mahomes are going to be there. Tyreek Hill is off to a fast start, and, you know, when he's on, whoever the quarterback is, he's going to pile up his numbers. The stars, just like in baseball, at the end of the season, the stars are going to be the stars.
1: Stars are stars. I mean, that's just, you know, it's when you, like when you lose one, to free agency or whatever, and just go out and try to you know replace those guys. They're just not replaced easy. When you see a quarterback go down, a first string elite quarterback go down, I am convinced there's no other position in any sport anywhere that is affected more when an elite quarterback goes down, and they bring down they bring in the the backup quarterback. That is the completely different, t- change team. I mean. Unless you got Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady waiting in the wings, which is very, very, very rare. Those elite guys are elite for a reason, and they're hard to replace.
0: Yeah, and long-term, I know Cooper Rush won for the Cowboys last week, but this is a perfect example, isn't it? Long-term, Cooper Rush is not going to be able to do for the Cowboys what Dak Prescott can do.
1: Well, I don't know a whole lot about Cooper Rush. He doesn't look bad to me. He's actually been pretty impressive. Um, he came into that game, and I think he had a couple games last year too where he did okay, but he came into that game the other day when Dak went down. And looked like he took control of it, started throwing confident passes right away, and and uh, that that's that's important. You know, when we see a young player come up, uh, we can tell if he's ready or not by his demeanor and the way he attacks hitters. And when they when they finally do get over that that hump to be ready, there's such a difference in their confidence level going forward. And and those guys that who are elite, they already have that. They go into those games with that. And so it's just a hard thing to fake. You know, you either have it or you don't.
0: Adam, once you became a veteran, so let's say th- th- from 2009 on, has there been a guy that's come up where you-, you watched him play for the first or second time and said that guy's real? He- he's a big leaguer.
1: Michael Waka. Hmm. the first name I thought of. Um, <clears throat> you know, he came up for a, for a, a brief stint, needed to learn a breaking ball, needed to go down and get some command issues. But when he came back up in 2013 as a rookie towards the end of that season, I don't think there was a better pitcher in all of baseball down the stretch and in the playoffs than Michael Walker. I think he was the best pitcher I saw in 97 with the tilt on the ball, throwing straight downhill like I've never seen ever. Best changeup I've ever seen still. The to, to changeup is just the weirdest, craziest pitch you've ever seen. When you play catch with it, it's, it's hard to even catch the thing. Uh, but then all of a sudden he learned that big breaking ball. He could get over for strikes and, and – and uh he was, he was operating with a mojo that no one in the world was going to stop him. And man, he rolled through. Remember that game in Pittsburgh, Game Four of mm-hmm. the NLDS. The, the Pirates had us down two to one, and uh, they were they were playing great baseball. They had a great team, had a couple of really good pitchers on there, great lineup. The crowd was absolutely rocking. Remember when they made Johnny Cueto drop the ball? <laughs> yeah, at the right. Yeah. They were doing that when, when they, were, they tried to do that to Michael Walker and he had a no-hitter going at the eighth inning against him in, in an elimination game in Pittsburgh where that whole place was blacked out. Everybody was wearing black. The Clemente Bridge was rocking. There were so many people jumping and going crazy on that. They had a really good chance to win the World Series that year, except for they had to go through Walker in game four, and they couldn't do it. And, and, and no one could, really. He went into that game two in Boston and – just about threw a no hitter that game too. I mean, he was just every time he took the ball, he 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 had a no hitter through eight and two thirds. And Ryan Zimmerman hit a tapper over his head to break it up. But he had he had a no hitter almost every game he pitched. It was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. And and uh, I tell Jack that story too because Jack had that great second half <clears throat> in 2019. I say, hey, you were great. Don't get me wrong, you were great. But I've seen better because I saw Michael Walker in 2013 do
0: you stay in touch with michael because he's had a great season with boston
1: oh yeah yeah mike and i talk a lot we we text and keep in touch and and uh, always rooting for each other you know he was uh just like these other young guys the jack and Dak and guys that i've been uh fortunate enough to work with for a long time he was like a little brother to me you know i, I loved working with him and, and uh and trying to help him along when i needed to most of the time he didn't need anything he was he was he was pretty good so uh just a great guy great teammate you know who reminds me a lot of him is Jordan Montgomery. A lot of them. They talk the same. They have the same demeanor. They have the same kind of personalities. Same kind of, like, undertoned country vibe a little <laughs> bit. You know, just uh, very similar dudes. Great guys and great guys to be around in the clubhouse and on the team.
0: And one of the things, and I guess Jordan Montgomery is going to be this way because he pitched in the postseason for New York, but – you can tell also when those guys take the mound, and the the moment, especially in the postseason,
1: isn't too big for them. Absolutely, and I'll tell you, pitching in New York—it's not a whole lot different. than Pitching in New York and pitching in the postseason—I think if you can succeed there, you can succeed anywhere. And he pitched great there. I mean, I was pitching in the NL and the AL East for a team that had seventy wins at the All-Star break this year had a three something ERA comes over with a with a with a new team and. Spreads his wings a little bit, comes over here thinking, feels like he's, except for one game, feels like he's dealt every time he's been out there. Man, he's been a great addition for us.
0: Hey, Adam, we haven't talked since you and Yachty combined for start number 325. And I want to touch on a couple of things. Number one, before that start when we talked, we didn't know what was going to happen with the ball. Tell us what happened with the ball.
1: Yeah, um, I have it. Uh, Chris Conroy, our athletic trainer, gets the balls, and, and he, he learned this from Barry Weinberg, who was our, a longtime trainer before him, but really good at calligraphy and inscribing on the balls, and and uh, just just does a great job. It's a real servant, a real service that he provides us. He, he just makes them, those balls a lot more meaningful. When he hands you a ball, it says 325, a big red numbers right in the middle, and then it says most wins, or most career games as a battery uh, in the history of baseball, you know, and, and just kind of, it's authenticated and all. I have the ball. Now, I, I my plan was to have it cut in half. Um, I was going to give Yachty half, and I was going to take half. I just felt like that was a cool thing. Uh, but Yachty said he wanted me to have the ball, um, which means he's. I know how he works. See, He's trying to trade that for this Game 7 ball that we're going to get this year in the World Series. I already know what he's, he's a, I'm ahead of him. I know what he's thinking. That's, but, uh, that's a special thing for me. I, you know, I think when you look at Yachty's career, He's got so many things. He's got all the gold gloves and silver sluggers and all-star appearances and platinum gloves and, you know, going to be a first bout Hall of Fame. He probably looks at that ball and goes, Adam needs that. You know, he doesn't have nearly as many cool things as I do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, I know you got a lot of reaction. You got a lot of texts, a lot of phone calls. Can you share two or three with us that really stood out to you in terms of people that congratulated you on getting to 325?
1: Um, well, you know, obviously, friends and family of of of, of every um, background. My my in laws and mom, obviously, brother and cousins and people I've known my whole life and longest, oldest friends. But the ones that really stuck out to me were former teammates. Um, that uh, you know, were were just great players, great teammates, great friends. Um, and you know, they've been out of the game for a few years, and you just wonder like. Where is that person now? What are they What are they up to? What are they doing? Because baseball has a, a nasty way of, of letting you spend so much time with people, get so close, and then as soon as the game's over, or the season's over, or the career's over, and you never see those people ever again. Sometimes, and so, uh, got a lot of of text messages from former teammates, um, just congratulating me and Yadi, and, uh, and and some of one, one of the ones was Jake Westbrook, and Jake Jake and I still still text from time to time, but Jake said. Uh, Hey, when I teach young guys about baseball, I teach them how you and Yachty go about the game. Oh, that's cool. And uh, those those kind of comments are very special. You know, It makes makes you feel like all the work that you've done really meant meant something to the people around the world.
0: It's Wednesdays with Wayno, a special Thursday edition here on 101 ESPN. Adam Wainwright with us. And, Adam, I, we're always happy and positive here, but I, I want to go back to a time in your career where – you might not have had doubts, but people had doubts about you. And it was in San Diego, where you guys are today. It was May of 2018, and you had a rough start against the Padres. And I know Dan McLaughlin has said before, I thought that was it for Adam Wainwright. And you took the rest of May and then June, July, and August off. Can you take us into that time frame and what you were thinking with
1: your bad elbow at that point? Yeah, Danny Mac and I were thinking the same thing. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> um, I- I'll tell you this. Um, I, I rehabbed my elbow and got it to a point where I could pitch effectively. You know, it wasn't gonna be great, but it would have been effective and I could have probably got through the end of the season and won some games and and uh and kept the teams in the games and you know got a couple of hits, hopefully to score some runs. Um and then I went out for uh for warm ups before that game and I tweaked it again and uh as I as I felt my bones and my elbow smack together and that bone bruise fire back up, I thought, well, I don't want to do this much longer. This is uh, this is brutal. This is horrible. This this hurts, man. This is you know each time I threw a pitch, I cut my warm up short because it just you know wasn't gonna wasn't gonna get better. So I, I cut my warm up short and went out and I said, all right, I'm gonna try to grind through. I think I can. I think I can get three innings. Maybe four. I, I think I can do it, um, and uh, that might be that might be it forever because I don't I don't want to do this ever again. You know, this hurts too bad. It's not fun. You know, when you lose the fun, the enjoyment of the game, uh, then you shouldn't be playing the game anymore because this is an amazing sport. Uh, it's an amazing job. It's an amazing blessing to be able to walk out of that field and represent the Cardinals. <clears throat> when you lose the love of the game, there's something bad about that. You know, uh, I always want to. I always tell people I, I, I will retire before, and I don't know if I could ever get to that point of losing the love of the game, but injury had caused me to get there. You know, it wasn't fun to pitch anymore. It was awful. And uh, every pitch I threw that first inning, second inning, I just, I heard the noise, you know, I heard those bones hitting together. I heard, I and and I don't know if it was as audible as it was internally audible, but um, it was brutal, man. It sucked, you know, and, 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 uh, you start looking at things. And as I walked off that mound, I was throwing 82 miles an hour, you know? Um, and each pitch I'd have to step off, take a deep breath and go, all right, I can throw one more pitch right now. Just take a deep breath. Like My stomach is hurting right now. You know, when you hit something really hard, you bang your knee or something, your stomach hurts. Mm-hmm. That's what I, that's what I felt every pitch. And, uh, and that, that's just not something I wanted to do anymore. You know, thankfully we were able to, uh, recover from that sort of miraculously. But, um, yeah, Danny Mack was right in what he was thinking. Everybody who – who uh, and Skip was on the other side. He was with the Padres the other time, and he said, you know, I was looking out there going, well, that is the last time we'll ever see Adam pitch. And he was right, too. I mean, that, I, I thought and, – and especially, I'll tell you, especially about a month later, two months later when things weren't just – they just weren't getting better, uh, I thought it was for sure done. Like, it was no doubt. So then, what happened?
0: How, how did your elbow rebound?
1: Uh, we kept working out. I stopped throwing completely because it just there's nothing. Was nothing I was doing was helping it with throwing. It wasn't going to get better at all, and so um, I just stopped throwing. And I, I was just trying to be uplifting to the team, just be you know team team cheerleader like I've done a couple of times before, and uh, you know not let not let any negative energy creep in. Um, Dominic Leone was rehabbing he had a little nerve issue in his shoulder that's his bicep that he was working through and he got to a point in his throwing process where he needed a catch partner and our our rehab uh our rehab coordinator wasn't really uh the best throwing partner (laughs) so i said hey you know what what am i here for if not for this kind of thing you know and and so i went out and caught it with him and then you know the rehab coordinator would go halfway, and I'd throw it back to him, and then he'd throw it to Dominic the farther he got back. And then I just said, you know, I'm just going to start messing around here and just start changing my angles a little bit, see if I can reach back a little further or shorter. And I tried everything to make my arm swing in a way where I wouldn't have that sensation anymore. And he got back pretty far, and I threw it over the rehab coordinator's head and, uh, on purpose, to, all the way to Dominic one time. And, and I just said, I'm just going to long arm this thing and just take it back as far as I can, get it away from where that I feel that thing happening. And, uh, and I threw it to him, and it didn't hurt. And I went, well, son of a gun. <laughs> I could do that. And so I started throwing with him every day. We started playing catch. And I just took, and it was probably only about six or seven inches longer in the back, but it got me to a point where I could get past that that painful situation and I was just able to throw it back to him and kinda of lob it all the way to him and then as we threw more and more I was able to build a little arm strength here and there and thought, Well gosh, I'm let me see if I can get this two seamer working. Started sinking a little bit I said, Well, there's no way I can throw a curveball. And then I threw a curveball and it didn't hurt and I'm like, Well here we go. Man, okay. So I went out on a rehab assignment and I'll be honest, it didn't it didn't hurt me um it probably hurt ten percent of what it was hurt. And I thought this will be great. I'll go out on rehab. I'll come back. I'll pitch a couple games in September, and that'll be a good way. Because I don't want to, You know, you don't want to go out like that San Diego game. I, I didn't want to go out that way. But this will give me a health like a way to somewhat healthy, kind of go out, my head held high, knowing I tried everything I could do. And I pitched a couple games, and they were they were okay. You know, it was like six innings, two runs, five innings, four runs one time, and then. Then I had a start against the Dodgers, and uh, my start against the Dodgers um, came, I think, you know, towards the maybe like September 20th or somewhere around there. And I went into that game and I thought, "All right, this is a great test for me, because if I go out there and get shellacked, then I know I've tried it all, came back, I did everything I could, and just didn't work out." If I go out and have success, then maybe we'll think about it. But, you know, I, honestly, in my head, I was thinking I'm going to go out, pitch five innings, give up one or two, and, and that'll be a good, you know, I, I kept my team in the game. Hopefully we beat the Dodgers. That'll be a great way. They're a great team, obviously. I went out there and threw six shutouts. And it was crazy to me. As soon as I walked off that field, I went, I got more to give. I can keep doing this. And it was and it was uh, it was it was such a big day for me. Looking back, that Dodger game—if I go out there and give up four runs and pitch four innings or five, running, five innings, five innings—I'm done playing baseball since 2018. That's just the truth of it.
0: Well, I, I have chills right now because here we are four years later, and it really does—it feels like a miracle.
1: It is a miracle, honestly. And there's a lot of people that that spent a lot of time to help get me back, and, and Thomas Knox and. Adam Olson, and Chris Conroy, and Jason Shutt. Um, Jason Shutt has poured more hours into me than uh, than he has his own life these last four years. I can tell you that. I mean, I'm just I owe him a lot. Um, and he he designs my off-season program, in season program, working working out wise. You know, what's our conditioning? What are we sleeping? What are we eating? You know, what are we drinking? You know, guy sets out drinks for me every day. Made. I'll tell you this about him. This is a cool story. This offseason, before um, before the offseason started, we knew we were going to get into that labor agreement. And we knew we weren't going to be able to communicate with the teams. Jason Shutt sat down and made a notebook, handwritten, for every single day of that entire offseason, leading all the way up to the very last day of spring training because we didn't know when we were going to be able to report back. Every day of what's my throwing, what's my, what's my lifting, what's my conditioning, you know, make sure I sleep this, make sure I drink this every single day, and uh, I don't know how many hours it took him to do that. He handwritten it; it was handwritten. I don't know how many hours it took him to do that, but it, it had to have been several days worth. And uh, that's the kind of that's the kind of love I've been given by a lot of these guys who have worked on me. And I'll tell you, and and I mean, not to mention, I think the Lord had a, a huge hand in that, obviously. But I am so fortunate and so blessed. I said this to my wife the other day. These last three, four years after injury have really helped define my career. I mean, you know, I was able to come back and pitch at a level um, that was exciting again, that helped this team win again, start a couple opening days again, a couple really good games in the postseason for this team, you know, help us have a chance to win. Be a guy who the team looks at and wants out there on the field. Be a guy that that instead of walking around St. Louis, people going, hey, thanks for the years, man. It was a good run in 2018. Now they're going, hey, when are you pitching again? Exciting. And that's four years later. That's just wild to me. And so I just am so thankful for those years. You know, I had a conversation with with uh, Kamish the other day and Derek Gould about Hall of Fame stuff. If I retire in 2018 – I'm one of those guys that go, well, if he could have retired you know, or if he could have retired five years later and had four or five more healthy seasons, you know, he might be in the conversation. Now they're going, I don't know if you'll get in, but it's close. You know, you got to put maybe if you play another year, we'll see. It's going to be close, though, just to be in the conversation. It's wild to me. I don't even understand. uh how and why that all worked out for me, but I am so blessed and fortunate to have still be calling St. Louis home and still be pitching on that mound every fifth day.
0: Well, one of the reasons it did is because you've been able to maintain this platform for Big League Impact, and I'm reading right now the All Win St. Louis campaign has raised almost $109,000 this year. I know that the fantasy football set records this year, and the great things that you're able to do for the community and for the world are, are necessary, and so th- that platform Form, I know is something that you're very proud of utilizing and you have with Big League Impact.
1: It is. It is. And, uh, you know, kind of what we talked about, right? Like all these things that that seem to have gone my way and, and all these great people that have been around me to help get me back, it's all given me a, an opportunity to stand up on that platform a little bit longer. Because I know when you get out of the game, that platform shrinks dramatically right away. It is. It doesn't take long at all. Everybody tells me, "Hey, enjoy while you got it," because as soon as you step out of the game, no matter how big a player you are, uh, that thing disappears really quick. Um, We've been able to feed a lot of people and help a lot of people in need in those times. Those last four years, Big League Impact stepped up in a huge way. Our Big League Impact board and our staff has done some amazing, amazing things, creating the experiences for for our our events, um, putting on. a, a great show. Everything we everything we do, communicating with players across Major League Baseball, we're working with over 100 Major League Baseball players right now, um, in in all kinds of different climates. You know, we're working in 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 almost all the states. You know, we're working in different countries, doing all that through the world. That started right there in St. Louis with a little thing, a little fantasy football draft, and we've we've come a long way. We're doing all kinds of different things now, but our big league board. Big League Impact board and our staff has stepped up in a way to make this. Because a couple years ago, maybe like five years ago, I contemplated shutting down Big League Impact just because I felt like it was becoming more of a hassle for the teams that we were working with than they wanted to. It was becoming a hassle for me. It wasn't running as smooth as I wanted to. And our staff stepped up and uh, it's just done incredible work. They have such a mind for giving and for helping people i just feel blessed to be a part of it and, and every day i get to be a part of it with these people it's just another 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 day that i wake up feeling blessed So um, they're doing great things thanks for all the people who supported us over oh, years thank you for the cardinals who have allowed us to do all these great things with bigly impact and thank you all for uh for the radio recording honestly i mean these these messages get the name out of what we're trying to do and and, uh, we thank y'all too
0: last thing adam back in 2019 down the stretch your fellow number 50 here in st louis jordan Bennington, during the course of a two or three game losing streak for the blues was asked if he felt nervous and he said to jim thomas the blues beat writer do i look nervous a lot of people here are nervous about the way the cardinals have played the last week or so so uh are you nervous
1: I would say nervous is the right word. What I would say is motivated. Um, I think timing of of what's going on is very important. It's inevitable. In a Major League Baseball season, 162 games, you're going to go through ups and downs. We went through a a couple of downs earlier this season, too, and we came out of them playing even better. Uh, We're definitely going through a down period right now, offensively, obviously, where we're not scoring a lot of runs, you know, our, uh, one of our best pitchers has pitched like a knucklehead the last four or five times out. Um, and so you you want to get this kind of thing out of the way. You don't want it to happen. But it's just inevitable. You can't avoid it. It's just there's too many games. You go through a stretch where things don't work out. Uh, now, if this lingers on into October, then we got a problem. But here's the thing. Think back to 2006. We played so bad going down the stretch. We barely limped into the postseason because John Smoltz went out and and shut out the Astros and beat them. That's the only reason we didn't even win to get in. They won. They beat the Astros for us to sneak in. We were up by 10 games at one point. We barely snuck in, but as soon as we got in, it was like, oh, now we go. It was like all the pressure was off. Nobody expected us to win. We're going to be going up against some teams that nobody expects us to beat. You know, there's going to be that great Dodger team in there. There's going to be that great Mets team in there. There's going to be that great Braves team in there. There's going to be that great Philly team in there. There's going to be that great Padres team in there. There might be that great Milwaukee team in there. We were talking about this yesterday in the clubhouse. Every single one of those teams I just mentioned, including us, has a chance to win the World Series this year. That's the kind of teams that we're going to face in the postseason. And many of these these teams are not expected to win. Who's expected to win? Probably the Dodgers. Probably the Mets. Those are the two favorites, right? That's exactly why we are the most dangerous, because when we go into situations like that, we always excel. And we have the right players in the middle of that lineup. We have the right players in our starting staff and our bullpen to make this thing work. We just got to put it together. The good thing is everybody's starting to get real ticked off about how things have been going. (laughs) And usually when you're in the lowest of lows is when you're the closest to being at the highest of highs.
0: We know you're the best. Enjoy the rest of this trip. And we will see you uh, when you guys get home against the Pirates.
1: Peloton, motivation that moves you.